Is putting money in the offering plate the same as having daily prayer? That's what we're talking about today on Church and Maine. Welcome to Church and Maine, the podcast at the intersection of faith and modern life. I'm Dennis Sanders, your host. Church and Maine is a podcast that looks for God in the midst of the issues that are affecting the church and the larger society. You can learn more about the podcast, listen to past episodes, and donate by checking us out at churchandmaine.org or check us out on Substack at churchandmaine.org. Dot substack.com. Consider subscribing to the podcast on your favorite podcast app and leave a review. That helps others find this podcast. So growing up, as I did in Michigan, um, I went to church with my parents every Sunday. And every Sunday, I would see my parents write out a check and place it in the church op- envelope to give during the offering. My parents believed in tithing, and that meant that it meant giving 10% of their income to the church. Now, my parents were auto workers. They worked on the assembly line. They did not make a whole lot of money. It was a nice living, but not a whole lot of money. But they did believe that what they got should be given back to God. And my mother continued that. Um, she has, until very recently, was um, a giver at our church and always gave consistently. She didn't tithe anymore, but she still gave from her limited and um, from fixed income, retiree income. And I think that that same ethic still applied. She believed that what she got should be given back to God. My parents represented an older generation of Christians that tended to give more. It didn't matter if they were professionals or working class. That generation seemed like they gave more of their income to the church. Now, if we fast forward to today, younger Christians give much less to their local congregations. And there are a lot of reasons for that. I'm not going to go into that right now. Now, about a decade ago, I asked today's guest to come to the church where I was serving at the time as associate pastor to talk about stewardship. If you're someone that goes to church regularly, then you know that stewardship is something that happens that we talk about at least once a year, where people pledge about how much they should give for the year. Well, she talked about stewardship, but it was in a very different way, seeing it much less as something that you had to do that was a kind of pledging to meet the church budget for the coming year, and seeing it in a far more holistic sense, seeing it as a spiritual practice akin to, as I said earlier, having a regular prayer or reading your Bible on a daily basis. 
So that is what we're going to be talking about today, uh, seeing stewardship as a spiritual discipline. My guest today is Kirby Gould. She is the vice president of the North Central Zone of the Christian Church Foundation, and she's been part of the foundation since 1997. She is also a commissioned minister in the Christian Church, Disciples of Christ, um, and lives in Kansas City. And she also is a certified fund, fundraising executive, a chartered financial consultant, and a chartered advisor in philanthropy. So join us today as Kirby and I talk about what it means to view the offering plate as a way to draw closer to God. Thank you, Kirby, for showing up on the podcast to talk about stewardship um, as a spiritual discipline. Well, I'm glad to be here, Dennis. Um, have appreciated our friendship and mm-hmm. and uh, many years as colleagues in ministry, and uh, very excited to be invited to participate this morning. Well, I think the first thing before we kind of go into that is just to let people know kind of um, what you do and, and your role in the Christian Church Foundation. I'll be glad to share. Um, I the, the Christian Church Foundation is one of the general units of the Christian Church Disciples of Christ. Um, we are headquartered in Indianapolis, but um, I have a what we call a zone office in the Kansas City area and serve um, churches and donors in basically Kansas, Missouri, Nebraska, Minnesota, North Dakota, South Dakota, and I left one out, Iowa, sorry. Um, (laughs) We focus on the area of what we call the stewardship of accumulated resources. So churches can go to various resources to run annual stewardship campaigns. They can go to other resources to do capital campaigns. But our focus is really on accumulated assets, whether that be a church that might be left a gift from an estate or if that may be an individual who wants to be uh, generous at the time of their death, typically at death, to leave a gift to the church or other ministry causes um, to support ministry forever into perpetuity. So it's a very specialized area of stewardship, but quite frankly, you can't do that end of life stewardship if you haven't done good with the first other two parts of stewardship as well. So it uh, it's a it's a a long continuum of how we share and give and are gracious with others from our abundance, whether that be what we put in the offering plate each week or whether it be something we give at the time of our death. So one of the things, and I I had you on here is because of something actually. Uh, we did probably about 12 years ago. It was in um, 2012. It was, it was actually, yeah. actually, yes. Uh-huh. And um, when I was at another congregation, we talked about stewardship as a spiritual discipline. And I think stewardship is one of those words that um, means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Um, how would you best define stewardship? 
Well, that's interesting. Um, I, if you go back and look at the Greek definition, you know, not that I'm a Greek scholar in any sort of way, but the, the actual word stewardship comes from a Greek word, and I won't pronounce this correctly, oikonomos, mm-hmm. uh, which translates into economics. And so it, it come, has come to be the meaning that a person who is a steward is someone who is a household manager. They take care not of their stuff, but of somebody else's stuff. So think about going on a passenger ship. I mean, going out on a cruise and who is it that brings you your luggage and turns down your, your bed at night or brings you your food? It's a steward. Well, the ship doesn't, isn't owned by him. He's not, it's not his luggage. It's somebody else's things that he has been entrusted to take care of. And so this, this broad definition of stewardship is not, you know, got to write a check this week to pay for the church's budget. It's no, I, my, the stewardship that I represent is to make sure that I am taking care of God's household. It's not my stuff to own, but it's God's house and it's God's property. I've been entrusted with resources and it's my opportunity then to give back um, from my abundance, from my wealth, from my paycheck to support the church as well as all um, causes that are um, near and dear to a person's heart. So I, I kind of just like to go back to that that Greek rooted definition of, of truly what stewardship is. It's it's economics. It's taking mm-hmm. care of stuff, taking care mm-hmm. of someone else's things. And how how would we view this as something that is kind of a spiritual discipline in a way that it would be like, you know, having a regular prayer or um, reading scripture on a daily basis? Exactly. Um, I, I like to go back to um, the book of Celebration of Discipline by Richard mm. J. Foster. Mm-hmm. And he describes, um, obviously, it's all about the disciplines of, of, of how we, you know, as you say, prayer, meditation, studying the Bible, you know, fellowship, all of these things that basically just make up who we are as Christians and how we live our life. Not what we do on Sunday mornings for a couple hours, but what we do 24 seven, seven days a week. And so I want to quote from, from his book. Um, it's uh, he, he has divided disciplines into three movements of the spirit is how he mm-hmm. describes it. And he shows how each of these areas contribute to a balanced spiritual life. So there's these three, one is the inward disciplines of meditation, prayer, fasting, study, offer avenues of personal examination, and change. The outward disciplines are simplicity, solitude, submission, and service, and to help prepare us to make the world a better place. He then describes corporate disciplines as confession, worship, guidance, and celebration, which bring us nearer to one another and to God. So the inward disciplines are what we do to change ourselves from within. The outward disciplines mm-hmm. are what we do to try to make changes in the world. And the corporate disciplines brings both of those things together in a, in a time of in the fellowship of, of fellow Christians. So I would say that the outward discipline, um, that stewardship could be defined as an outward discipline, as how we um, are going to handle our resources, but also the corporate discipline of combining those resources for the good of the church and for the benefit of, of God's kingdom. 
So um, the other thing that we that you look at is um, if we go to First Timothy four six through ten, and this has often been compared to um, how we exercise our disciplines. And the the verse eight talks about for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things. So there's there's writers that focus on this understanding of physical training. So if, if you buy that total gym equipment, like I did at Christmas time, and it just sits in your garage waiting for it to be unrolled so you can start doing your exercises, it's no good. You know, mm-hmm. you've got to exercise your disciplines on a daily, daily basis. And so we obviously would include um, stewardship and our, how we manage our economics to, um, to something that has to be applied every single day. Um, you know, too often we think about our money in, we we don't plan well with our money. We don't do budgets. We don't, um, make sure there's enough income to take, go with the outgo and to be disciplined means you have to have those things for your own well-being. Make sure you can pay rent and buy groceries and save for college and whatever those, those things are. Well, a part of that discipline of our own economics is that discipline of making sure the church and God's church is getting his share, her share of our resources so that we can grow the kingdom of God. One of the things that we were talking about before um, we went uh, to the interview is a little bit about my own kind of experience with uh, stewardship for learning from my parents. Um, both my parents were um, auto workers. They worked on the line for General Motors, and um, they were both they bo- both believed in tithing. Um, and even years later, when my um, before my mother's stroke, um, she was someone that was still get she didn't tithe, but still gave a substantial amount. Um, and it seems like there is a generational difference in some ways now that older generations really regardless of their income level would give um, and sometimes give a lot that younger generations don't seem to do as much. Um, And I guess my question is how do you try to um, encourage younger generations? And I I think in, in some cases it's probably generation X and younger about the importance of stewardship and of giving and what that entails. Yeah, it's interesting that I also grew up in a household of of tithers. <laughs> My mother every Saturday night would pull out the checkbook and write that check to the church and stick it in her Bible to make sure it was there in the offering plate. Um and even once she moved to a nursing home and in her later years um, I, I saw the checkbooks and her social security and other checks, other dis, um, money coming in. She calculated that 10%. And so she, you know, so I, I saw that I lived in it and I witnessed that. Um, I think there's so many other, I think more social things that are affecting the people's ability to give. And for those who didn't grow up in a household, like you and I did Dennis, you know, in a faithful home to where church was, that was paramount. I mean, there was nothing else more important than going to church on Sunday and all the other school activities could take a back seat. Um, so if we haven't been influenced by 
the the generation above us, how do we become influenced in our in our current um, the current state in which people might be living, and 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 living in attending church and such and and understanding why it is so necessary to to support the the church. Um, and I also think maybe denominationally, uh, there are some denominations that are much stronger in their um, emphasis, we'll say, on tithing. Uh, you know, there are certain churches that may even come to your home and look at your tax returns to make sure you're tithing. Now, I, I'm not sure that we should be forced into a situation where that is is deemed necessary. But yeah, no, but it's but we there is so much that other denominations have have figured out how to implore folks to give um the, and then the, you've got the prosperity docu- the prosperity gospel the the ministers that preach well if you just pray hard enough or if you just give enough money to me god will bless you i'm not sure i buy into that as well um so i think it all comes back to the understanding of that this is a discipline that if we truly want to be faithful to god and faithful to our church and the mission that we have set aside for from through the church, then we have to become uh, understanding of where we are in our in our on our financial life planning. And um, you know, Dennis, there's a lot of churches that um, will do like the um, you know bring in the, the Financial Peace University and you know to show how to budget. And there's all kinds of pre fabricated programs to help people understand, um, you know, you got to have enough income to pay your bills, as we've said. But then a piece of that is also, if I truly love my church, why shouldn't I carve out part of my income to go to my congregation? I think, you know, in fundraising, which I've been a fundraiser for 39 years, which is kind of hard to believe, uh, I think we have to focus on the outcomes you know, if I do this, then this will happen. Um, we are in a new generation, you know, unlike you and me and our parents who were, you just gave on faith. You gave because that's what you did. You wrote a check, you gave. Um, but the newer generations is like, you know, prove it, prove to me that if I give you this money that you will do what with it. And so it's that, that questioning generation to say, I want to be a part of what you're doing but you got to make sure you can prove to me that you're actually doing what you say you're going to be doing. Yeah. Does, does that kind of understand that? Um, you well, know, I, I show, think it, show I, me the money as it were. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Well, I think it's also, you know, we live in a time when there is a, a lot more distrust of institutions. Yes. Um, I think you were, that's what you were getting at is that older generations, they gave on faith because they trusted these institutions that they were going to do the work they were going to do. And I think younger generations don't have that same trust um, yes. and are, are very wary of, of, well, what are you going to do with this money? Right. Right. It's very interesting. I was, I just went to a play um, two nights ago by a local theater here in the Kansas city area. And it was called uh, poor Claire, C L A R E. And it's mm. very loosely based on St. Claire, who was a, a very rich princess or something who uh, met Francis of Assisi. Mm -hmm. And she then became converted into his lifestyle and eventually her entire family, you know, took that vow of poverty. But, and it was, it was more of a comical play kind of 
taking a Kardashian-like um, look at it, but but very impactful because what it took for her was to actually gather clothes and take them under the bridge to give them to the people who needed clothes. Well, you know, she was bringing in, you know, these fancy uh, ballroom dresses and, you know, shoes that nobody, but only people who lived in a castle could wear. And, and she saw for her own eyes, she says, oh my gosh, you know, I live in this opulent lifestyle and look at the people just a few, a mile away from me that are living in poverty. So she had to actually experience what it was that her gift was going to do for other people. So maybe, I don't know, Dennis, do we need more experiential um, opportunities, get people serving food in the homeless shelters and, you know, helping kids who are, are down in their luck, all of those things. Maybe that's what it's going to take to change a generation of understanding why their gifts matter is to make sure they really see this is how it will matter. Matter. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Just kind of throwing that out as a, as a thought. Um, because as you say, our generation of just, you give because that's what you do. Those days are, those days are really over. Do you see any examples out there of congregations that are kind of having kind of novel approaches of how they're trying to deal with stewardship? Um, you know, in lots of churches do stewardship campaigns and um, in even those, it's almost a lot of, because my, my work involves sometimes a lot of, um, communications and marketing, it, it involves a lot of that too, that you have to kind of almost sell something um, to get people to give. I mean, are there churches that are doing things that are Yeah, are and, and that's and sad um, that we, that churches have sort of become, it's become sort of um, a fundraising mechanism. Um, a lot of churches are going now to what we call a narrative budget so instead of line item income from this source, this source, and outgo, this is how we're spending the money. They instead, uh, the narrative budget develops stories. You know, because we gave X percent um, to outreach, this is this is the pe- these are the people that were helped. Because we gave X percent to the administrative budget, look what our minister did. Um, reaching out to people in need, you know, because we gave X percent for our building, we are now able to not in your, you know, in certain situations, we now open our building to AA and, and uh, Boy Scouts and whatever, all those other groups. So um, I think that really drives the point home visually mm-hmm. and with more impact, uh, you know, the big buzzword now with charitable organizations, you don't do annual reports anymore. You do impact reports. How did mm. the money we raised last year impact the ministry or the cause for which we're raising money? So, you know, maybe I'm thinking maybe maybe we should change our terminology to impact reports. <laughs> mm. um, then going back to the idea of just the annual stewardship campaign, I, you know, I know people get tired of those and they, you know, Oh, we got to, you know, ask for money again to make the budget. And sometimes you maybe bring in fresh eyes or fresh ideas. Maybe that, that younger generation that says, you know, this may have worked for you, but I think this will work for our generation. Um, 
I often there I can cite so many examples of churches that have endowment funds mostly invested with us and they just take a regular percentage to help supplement budget or operating or capital or whatever. Um, but if, if they start losing their budget, there's not enough income, then they're going to start dipping into their endowment funds to help make up that difference. So one church in particular um, that I visited with um, quite intently in the fall, because they're really having serious, serious budget issues. And I just asked, I said, well, do you do an annual stewardship campaign? And I said, well, no, they, we just, we just don't bother with that anymore. And, you know, I'm thinking stewardship campaigns are not just to raise money, but also to raise awareness and to get, make sure people understand, you know, if you have to look at the black and white of it, all right, here's our budget. Here's what we need. You know, here's our shortfall. Some people are really visual with the numbers. Um, but if maybe stewardship campaigns would take more of a positive approach, that narrative budget, that impact report, look what we did last year with all this money that you gave. Um, now, obviously, some of those congregations are declining in membership, older members that can't are on fixed income. There's all of those things that always play into this as well. But um, I don't know. It's how do you become more creative each year when you got to do it every single year that's a that that's mm. would be a dot 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 question how do we create those uh, more creative opportunities to to do an annual stewardship drive um one of the this is kind of going back a little bit to Desire, you know, what is it that we desire for ourselves and and things? What a comment from Cheryl Crow, a, a song that she wrote, says it's not having what you want; it's wanting what you got. Meaning, we should be content with what what God has given us, um, rather than always wishing, you know, to keep up with the Joneses and to try to get more and more, just so I can be happier with all the stuff that I have. And so, even good Christians sitting in our pews every Sunday. Um, probably you're thinking those things as well. So, so understanding the value of a, of a stewardship campaign, and maybe we call it something different. It, you know, mm. um, I don't know, annual budget, uh, celebrate. I don't know how somebody has got to come up with more creative ways of how we define a stewardship campaign. You know, That's your job, the- Dennis. <laughs> <laughs> well, but one of the things I'm wondering too is, you know, you you hear stories, especially I mean, here in uh, Minnesota and Lutherland, I've I've heard stories about some Lutheran congregations that you know during the Great Depression, people were still giving, um, and you know, in fact, you told that some people would come to houses. They, they, I've heard one one such church. It's actually one of the the big churches in Minneapolis. People would come to the house to see if they were giving. Um, there is that sense, at least in those times, people still gave, I mean, you know, what was possible. Um, and so I'm always kind of wondering what was so different back then. And I don't know, and this is just me positing something, did it have something to do with gratitude? Um, because I think the role of gratitude has something to do with stewardship. 
um, and even just how we live our life in general. I, I because I think gratitude of what, especially in the Christian context, what Christ has done, um, how we act is is kind of that response. Um, you know, we don't respond because we need to. Um, it's not works, but it, it's out of kind of a grace of, of, of thankfulness. And I, I, I don't know. I just wonder about that, if that's lost yeah. today. Yeah, exactly. And I wish I had the statistics in front of me, but, um, you know, back in the Depression, um, it actually reflected the highest percentage of, of generosity and giving because the people who had still had money and still had resources were so grateful that they were still solvent that they thought I can't keep all this without helping my neighbor or without helping my family's sister or whatever. And so if you look at the giving per capita or whatever those, however they rate, rate those in the depression was absolutely some of the highest percentages of giving because it was their neighbors that were in need. And so they obviously mm-hmm. they wanted to help their community. Um, and then the other statistic is that in general, people of lower incomes give a higher percentage of their money than people mm-hmm. of wealth because wealthy people, it's just off the top, you know, okay, this is what I give versus um, people in lower to middle class. I think they are surrounded more by the people who are in need so they have a better sense of generosity because they can actually see what the need is um the uh i think it's second corinthians 8 um that paul writes and it's basically encouraging generosity i mean it reads like a stewardship manual it's a great (laughs) second corinthians 9 is just replete with commentary about um generosity and then Second Corinthians nine is when he talks about service to the saints, and those two those two books, those two chapters are just they're just they are just made for stewardship committees to read and understand, and and that response that we feel compelled from all the gratitude with all the abundance, and believe it or not, folks, we in America we are we live in abundance, no matter how mm-hmm. much you think your checkbook is too small. We live far above every, nearly many, I won't say every, but many, many countries around the world. So, um, again, feeling that sense of gratitude for what God has blessed us with in whatever capacity we have to be able to respond and return that gratitude by supporting our churches, our ministries, um, or even just you know, taking a meal over to a family who just came out of the hospital. I mean, those are how we display gratitude by um, exhibiting um, generosity to serve other people. Where do you think, go, I, okay, you're going to say something there, sorry. No. no, go ahead. I think, you know, where do you see kind of the future in stewardship? Um, you know, some people wonder if it's things like, you know, offerings and all of that are things of the past um, and that we need to try something different and different models of funding, which, yeah. you know, on the one hand, I think that there is something to that. On the other hand, I worry then that we are 
helping we're we're kind of allowing people to skirt the issue um yeah. that the money the things that we receive that there's a responsibility of how are we working how how are we seeing this to further god's mission or how are we using this to help others that we don't have to worry about that anymore and i i just wonder about that excellent excellent point of discussion so um to make up shortfalls in budgets, churches are saying, well, let's go start a daycare and take the income from the daycare. Let's put a cell tower on top of the church and get the money from the cell tower. Um, obviously, in my work, churches start endowments, and so they receive income streams from from endowments to enhance their budget. And that's, I think that that is a critical word, is enhancing a budget. It's not to meet a budget. But what can these dollars do to do over and above ministry that we were not able to do just from regular offerings? And, and um, you know, I was with a church over the last week that I was trying to encourage them to let's do a legacy planning event and encourage people to give to the church to maybe build up their endowment. And this one man said, churches shouldn't have money like that because then people in the pews will quit giving. I said, well, that's why you didn't have to educate them that gifts that come sort of outside the realm of the regular budgeted giving, you can enhance, you can do so much more with rather than just let's just use this to help pay the budget. And I can't remember the way I quote this is that, um, you know, Joe Jones, when Joe Jones died and left your church, you know, a million dollars and you sat back and said, well, I don't have to give another dollar because Joe Jones is now paying my pledge. <laughs> and I would, my response would be, well, you know, um, that gift did not forgive you of uh, being faithful to God. You know, Jesus died on a cross for forgiveness of your sins, but he didn't give you the right to be forgiven of your obligate and obligations, a strong word of your, um, desire or your, your giving to the church. So mm -hmm. I, I have a great way that I've have phrased that in the past, but we can't allow other sources of revenue or other people to, to take over what we already feel that we should have an obligation or a desire to give to support the church. Mm -hmm. I, I, there's, you know, going back to the, the tithe, um, that, you know, it's very old Testament. You know, Old Testament is oh, yeah. everything is the first few fruits, 10%. And then every third year you do another 10% for the widows, the orphans, the aliens, and the Levites. But then you flip over to the New Testament and guess what? God didn't, or Jesus didn't talk about tithing. He talked about, I want everything. I want all mm -hmm. of you. I mean, you got to put your whole self inside that offering plate. And maybe that kind of goes back to the spiritual discipline is that, God just doesn't want you for a couple hours on Sunday. He wants you all day, every day. So if we put ourselves in that offering plate, that means even our money has to be carved out to make sure that we are doing all we can to support the church. Um, in Matthew 23, 23, 24, the only thing we can find in the New Testament about, about tithing was he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe your mint, dill, and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, which are justice, mercy, and faith. So he says, okay, that was Old Testament tithing, and you're just so particular on making sure it's 10% of every little piece that you own. But, and, you know, like the 
this the parable of the rich young ruler, he said, sell it all. I want all of you. So so those who still hold fast to just that 10%, maybe they could be giving more than 10%. But for those who think Jesus said, well, he didn't talk about tithing. Well, he didn't talk about tithing. He said he wants all of you, everything that you have and all that you are. And um, so I, that's that's always a good lesson to learn in terms of what we really mean as tithing versus what we really mean as jumping in that offering plate and being there 100% for God all the time. Yeah, I think that, you know, people kind of complain about the whole 10%. It's, ooh, that's a lot. And it's like, oh, yeah, you didn't read the New Testament, did you? That's <laughs> 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 even worse there. Yeah. So, you know, and that just reminded me, Dennis, of um, something a church, some churches have done in the past, and I haven't, haven't seen it regularly, but that they say just for one month, try to be a tither. So, you know, you may be giving these little sums every month, but for the month of September, calculate what a true tithe would be and give that amount and then see if you are, if you can go back to your regular giving in October or if you're thinking, I could live without that 10%. So I can maybe give more than maybe I thought I could. So that that was one thought that I had that I had remembered a church was trying to a month of tithing. Hmm. Maybe that might be something for us to try in in churches. Um, I'm trying to remember. I'm hoping I remember this story correctly, um, but it was something that um, Sharon Watkins once shared. Um, and for those who don't know, she was the uh, is the former um, general minister and president of the Christian Church, Disciples of Christ. And she must have been in Africa or something somewhere where they had the service and then they had the offering. And the offering was literally a celebration. Like people were dancing in the aisles as they gave their money. Um, and that is something I, I find I, I found fascinating because um that is usually not the way you see it in some churches, how we give money. Um, but here, and and I think it was a place where there, people didn't have a whole lot of money, a whole lot of resources, but yet they gave very much joyfully. Um, and, you know, that makes me wonder where joy fits in when it comes with stewardship. Um, That's right. That's right. Um, you know, and, and I've just, I've just grew up in the church. I've, uh, you know, I, I do everything 24 seven is for me as church. And I just, sometimes I just can't wait to get, get somewhere where I can write a check and put it in, put it to g- good use. And so, um, I feel that joy, that internal joy, every time I ha- can give back a part of my, um, abundance to, to causes that I hold near and dear. Um, so how do we elicit that sense of joy? Maybe we need to pick up our doxology or the, the offertory music and <laughs> bring in a tambourine mm. or two and start start feeling that that joyful response. Maybe do a and unfortunately, Dennis, I see a lot of churches that have done away with the call to giving and say, well, you know, the box is in the back of the church, put your offering in. I I am just a firm believer that giving should be a corporate act that we should look in the eyes of the person to whom we're passing the offering plate. Now the op- the problem we run into is now everybody wants to give online. They just want to text their money in and they don't have that sense that here's what I'm giving and it's going to be shared 
and and blessed in the act of worship. So that's a big challenge I think we might have going forward. Well, and I think that was one question I had because I I'm one of those people who do give online and and people again younger generations if they do give do it that way. But the problem with that sometimes is that there's no visible way of showing that. Um, and does that matter? I, I you know I don't know. I, but it seems like there is something like there needs to be some type of visual representation of that, that it, you know, I don't know. It's just something I I wonder about at times. Yeah. I see a lot of churches that will just put in the pew pockets, just basically I, I gave online. And so they can actually put that card in the offering plate to say, I'm not, I'm not, not giving today, but I gave online. And so it's that physical act of putting something in a plate, but um, I don't know. It's, it's, um, it's, it's getting to be a real challenge to help know what motivates people. People want to give online because, Hey, you get bonuses on your credit cards and, and this and that it's easier you do, and you don't have to keep a checkbook. I understand all those things. So I think a lot of us just have to maybe sort start moving more in that direction, but still make sure we don't negate that offering is an act of worship. I mean, even in Acts 2, 42, 47, I mean, part of what they did was they supported their their fellowship of believers in whatever way is necessary. And um, Acts 4, you know, Barnabas actually sold a piece of property and laid it at his the disciples' feet. Uh, Barnabas, that's not the right name. Is that the right name? I think it's Barnabas. Um, uh, so that that every all everybody's needs could be met. He gave property in order to to serve the needs of his fellow um, believers. So, well, kind of wrapping things up. Where do you see the future of stewardship and and the future of stewardship as a discipline? Um, as we kind of uh, you know changing cultures, changing taste and mores. Where do you see that going? Well, maybe maybe the emphasis shouldn't be so much on the stewardship, but on the discipline. And mm. so when we do Bible studies or when we do sermonizing or when we are talking in small groups that we talk about all the disciplines of which stewardship is one. And I think people probably have never thought about stewardship as a discipline, but it's very basic to who we are and how we manage our money because we have to have money to pay the bills. And so how, how, how do we bring it more into more of a spiritual context versus a money context? So I, I see maybe a book to be written about that. (laughs) Dennis, we can, we can start pulling together some resources and how, how we can talk about stewardship as a spiritual discipline and, and move that forward to, to, you know, a Lenten study, maybe, or an Advent I, study. I agree with that. I think that would be a good thing to do. And yep. that, you know, you know, we you talked earlier about, you know, things like Financial Peace University, that there need, maybe there needs to be something, resources out there on how to give in, for stewardship um, in, in, in a different, you know, in this different way. And how do we, and, and as a spiritual discipline, that it's part of who we are as Christians um, in our daily practices. 
because um, I think we need that. I don't, we don't, it's kind of woefully not focused on as much. And it, it Absolutely. Absolutely. And I would, I would be remiss if I didn't give a shout out to Bruce Barkhauer and the Center for Faith and Giving. Uh, numerous resources for disciples or any any denomination are available to you on that website to help. And and he really focuses on the, the aspect of generosity that and the, the gratefulness that we have for the abundance that we can share. So a lot of good resources there. I would point people to that website. And definitely have enjoyed um, meeting with him, especially when I'm, you know, at General Assembly. Um, so I definitely will put that link in the show notes for people. Um, awesome. Put that in there. So very good, very good. Well, Kirby, thank you so much for for this time. Um, and I'm hoping that this is is helpful for people, regardless if they are in our denomination or or not. That um, this will help them in their Christian walk, and um, and can can benefit the church and the world as a whole. And Dennis, I appreciate your. Um tenacity on this subject. I think that it has, uh, maybe this will help lift people into those conversations that they need to have with their congregations or that um, individuals might start thinking about for themselves, how this might be a a life-changing opportunity going forward. So much kudos to you for for your um, um, love for this area of ministry and stewardship. Thank you so much. You All are right. welcome. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Take care. All right. Goodbye, everybody. Well, thanks so much for listening in on this conversation that I had with Kirby. There are going to be several links uh, that are related to this episode, and you can find them in the show notes. Uh, Just one quick reminder, um, if you would like um, or are interested, there are different ways that you can actually support this uh, podcast financially. You can do so at our Substack page. And there are ways that you can subscribe, uh, be a paid subscriber. I have many free subscribers, which I am very thankful for. But if you want to become a paid subscriber, you can do that as well. Um, When you are on the website, uh, on the Substack, just uh, click on where it says subscribe and you can become a paid subscriber. Um, There are also links um, if you look on our whatever podcast app that you use where you can make a one-time donation as well. And those go to help uh, make sure that we can continue to produce more episodes. So that's it for this episode of Church in Maine. Remember again to rate and review this episode on your favorite podcast app. uh, And pass this episode along to family and friends that might be interested. I'm Dennis Sanders, your host. Thank you so much for listening. Take care. Godspeed. And I will see you very soon. Oh,